turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Insurance is always. The following program is sponsored by Reaching Hearts Ministries. Hello and welcome back to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike's message today is the conclusion to faith, fear, and fire. We started this message yesterday, but due to our time constraints, we're not able to complete it. We'll do so now. But you can always go to reachingyourheart.com and listen to any of these messages in their entirety on the website, reachingyourheart.com. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with the conclusion to faith, fear, and fire. So the music, the preacher's performance, or whatever you want to call it, none of it holds the key to your future development outside of Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness seized by faith. Intervention number three, God assures Abram with a promise that he will have a future and a legacy and a family not yet born. Abram's legacy will be a family of faith that shines like the stars forever. Genesis 15, 4, your own son will be your heir, God promises. Genesis 15, 5, your children will be like the stars, God promises. Daniel 12, 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I don't know about you, I'd like to shine like that. I want to have a never-ending story to my life. I want to be found in Christ today, to remain in Christ and to shine for Christ into the ceaseless ages of eternity. Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring or seed, heirs according to the promise. In other words, if you are in Christ, you are one of those stars that will never stop shining into the ceaseless ages of eternity. Abram was in his 80s and his wife was too old to have children. God's promise comes to Abram when the promise is hard to keep. From a human perspective, Abram and Sarah can't have children, period. Too old to have a future. Washed up. Social security check should end by now. The future is unscripted, but certain. Death is on the horizon, you would think. But not so with God. When God speaks, when God's word interacts with your hopeless situation, God instills within it a future and a hope that has no limit, that can move into eternity, that can transform your present attitude and situation. So what do you do? You must visualize it and realize it and seize it by faith. What do you do when God makes a promise that seems impossible to keep even for him? You must believe. Abram's response is found in verse 6, Genesis fifteen six. The Bible says, and he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Has God ever come to you and said, this is impossible. Your life may be messed up, but I offer you hope and a future. And you say, you know what? I've been whining all those years, but suddenly I feel the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that what God has promised me will be. And the minute you do that, by seizing the Lord Jesus, you are reckoned righteous before a holy and a blameless God. 
For Richard Dawkins, faith is a virus that messes up our children as it spreads to the world around them. As I said, I hope all of our kids are infected with faith in Jesus. For God, faith is not the disease. Faith is the cure for life without God. How does God accept a fearful man or woman who stumbles from east to west like Abram looking for a promised land, but he follows or she follows? How does God treat a man who slips off the track from time to time as he feebly holds on to the hand of God? But he keeps on holding on. How does God relate to a man who gets sidetracked in life and goes off to Egypt and then tells a little lie there that almost gets him killed, but he pursues the truth in life in spite of his moral failing? How does God relate to an old man overcome with fear and afraid of his tomorrow who in the winter of life believes and he keeps on believing. When all the evidence says you should surrender faith, what does God do for a man in a journey like that? Friend, the first man in the Bible who believes the word of God, who believes the Lord in such a way, is reckoned righteous before God. The epigenetic principle is operative here in Scripture. Every believer, everyone who believes the Lord as Abram believed, just like Abram is accounted righteous because that is how it works. The word reckon in verse 6 is a legal term. It has relational implications, but it's very much a legal term. Friend, the ultimate fear for every soul is the fear of standing in the judgment day naked without a righteousness that will see you through. Am I right or wrong on that? The ultimate fear is to stand before a holy God and to feel the awful eye of condemnation. Am I right? That's the fear that your soul must deal with somehow before the judgment day. Friend, in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, you are not guilty. In Jesus, according to the Holy Scriptures, you are justified by faith for the future judgment day. And you will stand before God because of His merits, because of His beauty, of His moral perfection. In Jesus, if you seize Him by faith and you hang on to Him as Abraham did, you are accepted today in the faith, through the faith, and by the faith that comes from the faith of Jesus. In Jesus, God treats you as if you had never sinned, if you have the faith of Abram. If you believe in Jesus, you are declared righteous today. Not guilty before God, not guilty before others, and not guilty before a blameless universe that will open the books in the judgment day. Not guilty before the devil's accusations, and in the judgment day, not guilty inside your own head where it hurts the most to feel the prick of failure, not guilty. The one who has faith in Jesus Christ is reckoned righteous because Abram is the father of us all. Romans 4.20, No distress made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that is why his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. But the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him that raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was put to death, it says, for our trespasses. Now that's the most important truth of the apostolic gospel, that Christ died for our sins, 
It says, who was put to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification, which means acceptance. Friend, God has dealt with the mess of your life in Jesus. God has dealt with it in a final kind of way. That's why Jesus does not have to be sacrificed ever again, according to the book of Hebrews. That's why if someone teaches you that he has to be sacrificed, that person is at war with the apostolic gospel established by Scripture. Christ's victory stands in time as victory for all time. And you live in the timeline of your todays where you need a victory that is solid and secure. Christ has accomplished for you a victory that secures your relationship with Him every single day of your life. And if you abide in Christ, for you must to have faith, if you are secured in Christ because you will not even let your failures separate you from the one who leads you, then you will find in every day of your life the victory of Jesus. It may come in sorrow as you fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I wish I were better. It may come in joy as you have a moral victory or a faith victory. But friend, Christ is with you in the valleys and he's with you at the top of the mountain and he will lead you on the road that goes to glory. The faith of Jesus. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the present reward in life for the believer who believes in Jesus by faith? When you believe with faith, unyielding faith like Abraham, you have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe, you don't have to prove anything to anyone or to God anymore. The war has ended and you belong to God. Peace with God. And God will say to you, I am your shield. Abram believed. Case closed. Not guilty before God anymore. Do you believe That God raised Jesus from the dead for you? Do you believe that he died for you? Case closed if you do. Not guilty before God anymore. Unless you stop believing. This is the first time in the Bible God speaks the divine name to Abram directly. In Genesis 12, Abram called on the name of the Lord at Bethel. After his detour to Egypt, Abram returned to Bethel. And in Genesis 13, 4, he called on the name of the Lord again. And when Abram believes the Lord in Genesis 15, 6, God speaks directly to him in Genesis 15, 7. And he says for the first time in Abram's life, I am the Lord. Genesis 15, 7, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. If you've called on the name of the Lord and you've not yet believed in what the Lord has done for you, then that is why you have not yet heard the Lord say to you, I am the Lord. Faith is the key that opens the ear of doubt so you can hear the voice of God speaking to you. I am the Lord. Without faith, friend, it's impossible to please a God you cannot see. Without faith, God will not draw near to you or anyone else on human terms. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So I hope that everyone here is infected with the virus of faith. What do you say? You want to get infected? Raise your hand. Infect me, God, with the virus of faith in Jesus. So when Abram believes that God will reward him, he believes that God will do the impossible, 
God speaks his name to Abram directly. He says, I am the Lord. All his life, Abram built altars and called on the name of the Lord. But when Abram believed the Lord, the Lord called out to him and he said, I am the Lord. So what kind of faith did Abram have that made him righteous? Let's analyze that. What kind of faith works for the judgment day? Genesis 15, 8. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How do you like that? Now I asked the question, what kind of faith did he have, right? Look at verse 8. He said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So based on verse 8, Abram's faith had three identifiable dimensions. Let's look at them. Dimension number one, Abram's faith was personal and relational. He said, O Lord God. Do you see that in the verse? His emotions are very much in the prayer he prays. He calls God by name because God is his personal God. So it's very clear from that verse he has a personal relationship with God. You can see it in the expression, O Lord God. Dimension number two, Abram's faith recognized God's sovereignty and authority. The Hebrew says literally, Lord Yahweh, or more directly, Master Yahweh. Abram recognizes God as his master, Lord and King, as his covenant God. He calls him Lord, L-O-R-D, with all letters, because he knows that there's a compact of faith between him and God. It's personal. And because the Lord he worships is close and personal, Abraham is willing to pray to him and call him by name. Number three, dimension number three, Abram's faith was immature and undeveloped. It would be amiss for us to not recognize this truth in that verse. How do we know this? We know this because he asked for a sign. We know this because he asked a question right after he believed. He said, how shall I know that I shall possess it? That doesn't sound right. I thought Abraham was the father of faith. Am I right or wrong? Is Abraham the father of faith? Romans 4? Yes. But here we see his kind of faith. He was asking for a sign. If you have faith in God, friend, it's all right to ask God questions when you are growing in faith. It's all right to recognize that you're not at the end of a faith journey. Job 42.4, Job said it in the midst of his sufferings here. And I will speak, Lord, I will question you and you will declare to me. The faith that justifies the sinner is a personal faith that submits to God's authority in life, but is also immature faith that learns to obey by degree more firmly. Now, the problem is if your faith stays immature all your life, it's probably evidence that you're not growing in faith and you may have actually broken faith. But Abram was 80 and he was still growing, so we shouldn't judge ourselves prematurely. The Christian never starts his or her journey with mature, grown-up kind of faith. The Christian starts the journey with immature faith that is full of questions. And that's the faith God recognizes as righteousness in the journey of faith. And that's the faith of Abraham that God will recognize in the judgment day if you take the mustard seed of your faith as it needs to grow, as it's seeking signs, and you'll just use it. That's the faith of Jesus that will get you through the final end-time challenge that faces us all. The faith that God recognizes as the righteousness that we need, that he imputes to us, is a faith that is in journeying mode. It's not faith that has arrived at the end of a destination. Genesis 15, 9, God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a she-goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in two, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, 
Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. Jonathan Santos once wrote, Never fear shadows. That always means there is a light shining somewhere. Friend, God never reveals himself as light unless darkness precedes the light. You don't need a light if you have God. You have God. When God spoke in the beginning of creation, God spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light. When Abram is overcome with darkness, God appears to him in the darkness of fear and says, let there be faith. Let there be light. Friend, God promised Abram that his descendants would live in a foreign land just as he had lived. They would retrace his footsteps of suffering and faith. And after 400 years of persecution, they would come home. They would come back in the fourth generation to take the possession of the land that he himself could not possess. He was a sojourner. The vision in the night started with darkness and fear, but it ends with fire, stars, children, the light of a covenant crucible. In Genesis, the covenant makes the man, not the man the covenant. Genesis fifteen twelve. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So what's happening here? What's the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch? Deuteronomy 4.24, For the Lord your God is a devouring fire, a jealous God. The smoking fire pot was God, the Father that no one can see. The darkness of the cloud of the smoke obscured the unseen God. No one has ever seen God at any time. The Father is veiled from human sight. The torch beside Him is another, is the light of God. The torch beside Him was Jesus Christ, the light of the world that night. The Father and the Son, together as the Lord, made the promise to Abram. Genesis 15, 18, it holds the key to the question. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now count those up. Look at that verse. How many nations are we talking about? Could someone count them real quick? How many do we see there? Someone say eight. Ten. Now that's no accident. The covenant is a foretaste of the covenant at Mount Sinai of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are also ten promises that God will take care of your enemies. You see, God promises that these ten nations that threaten the promise, that threaten the covenant, that God will deal with them. So at Mount Sinai, when he gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Abram, he's saying, as I will make sure that every enemy of your life is secured by faith in me, my name will abide in you. And I will allow these ten promises called the ten words, the ten commandments, to work by faith and grace and power in your life to overtake evil and to defeat those who would destroy your faith. So what does it mean, this image of moving between the pieces of the animals? In Jeremiah 34, 18, we have the clue. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant which they made before me, I will make like the calf which they cut in two and passed between its parts. In ancient covenants, in fact, in the ancient suzerain covenant treaty format, 
the two parties would cut animals in two and they'd pass between the parts to make a legal statement. It was like signing a document. Instead of signing it with your name, you walked between the parts and what you were saying was this, that if you don't keep your end of the deal, cut me in two, just like the two animals that I passed between. Cut me in two like that. So God passes between the parts because God promised Abram that he would keep the covenant or he'd be cut in two. Paradoxically, God kept the covenant and yet God was cut in two at the cross for me and you. The flaming torch was cut off from the smoking fire pot at Calvary. The Father and the Son were severed at Calvary. God the Father lost His Son and God the Son lost the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus died because we broke the covenant and the two of them together chose to let God in Jesus take our place on the cross of Calvary between the two pieces of a broken world. We find a broken God, the Son of God, cut off from the land of the living. Friend, when Jesus died of a broken heart on the cross of Calvary, the Father and the Son were standing in the middle of all time and eternity again. Like Abraham and Isaac, they went up the mountain. But unlike Abraham and Isaac, they had to say goodbye at the top of the mountain. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When God calls you to faith, dear heart, God guarantees by the surety of his own life, his name and his very presence, that he will fulfill his word in your life. Abram received this vision in the night. In the darkness, he saw God. There was darkness over the cross until the ninth hour when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friend, God never lies. The cross is proof that God never lies. The resurrection is double affirmation. The promise was made and the promise has been kept. Jesus has come. Faith, fear, and fire meet at the cross of Calvary. Emily Holland was sleeping in bed when the darkness surrendered to a fiery light inside her room. A powerful bolt of lightning blew a hole in the roof off the house as it punched a second hole in the ceiling of her room. How would you like to have a night like that? The lightning came close to killing her in terms of its position to her, its proximity to her. It pierced the ceiling. It struck the bed where Emily was sleeping. It hit the bed like a fireball falling from heaven with a devilish intent to destroy. It was hell-bent on removing her from planet Earth, but it did not succeed. It left a four-inch burn mark on Emily's mattress and the bed sheet. It went through the mattress cover and singed her stomach area, the clothing, the arm of her pajamas, but it didn't get to her. It came that close, but it didn't get to her. That's how close the fire came that night. But it didn't touch her with the death blow that only lightning brings. I have been struck by lightning. I have a keen respect for lightning. That's a fact. I've never been the same. Once I got hit by lightning, I think differently. You say, yeah, Pastor Mike. I drove through a number of red lights on my way home. My wife said, honey, let me drive. I drove anyway. I wasn't right for two weeks. Don't get struck by lightning. Friend, in the darkness of your night... God comes to you as the light that feels like a ferocious fireball that is out of control. You can't manage the light. You cannot control the fire. In the dark night of the soul, when you are afraid of the future, faith, fear, and fire meet in the covenant crucible, and God is in the darkness. 
as a smoking fire pot, just as God was there with Jesus in the darkness of the cross. He's there with you as you struggle for her future. And friend, Jesus is the light of the burning torch. The covenant makes the man or woman and not the man or woman, the covenant. When you believe in Jesus, the promises of God for you are sure and they will overcome the dark night of the soul. The ten promises of God received by faith in Jesus will take care of those ten nations, those ten enemies in your life that threaten to overtake you. And the fire of the covenant never hurts the heart. It never defeats the heart. It never singes the heart that follows God from darkness into light. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Dear heart, trust the Lord in the night and feel the fire. Feel the fire that quickens the soul in the crucible of faith, fear, and fire. Dear Heavenly Father, we don't ask today for great faith. We ask for the faith of Abram. A mustard seed faith that is used at the beginning of the faith journey that seeks a sign that hangs in there through the trials and the test at the end of the life journey that seeks a new life in Jesus in the world to come. Between the poles of east and west, may we walk with you by faith. May we grow. May your disciplines be given to everyone here and received by faith. And thank you for this magnificent umbrella that covers us in Christ, our righteousness, the umbrella of peace and acceptance and justification. May we never rely on any other means to stand before you. Teach us to obey. Under that canopy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That will conclude Faith, Fear, and Fire. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Look for the broadcast schedule on the main page. Our phone number here is 877-788-5371. 877-788-5371. For Pastor Mike and everyone here, please also know that we do pray that God is reaching 